0: You're listening to The Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in the middle of a sermon series, and by middle I mean week two. You haven't missed hardly any called Follow Your Hunger. The Lenten season is all about just that, following our hunger. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them and I'll do my best to answer. If you have any answers, I'd love to read them. Let me pull that app up so I don't miss anything. And uh, that'll be at the bottom of the screen or on your bulletin if you need it. But yeah, we've been talking about this Lenten journey. We've been talking about through the theme of hunger. Lent is a reflection and preparation heading into Easter. It's a serious time of taking serious inventory of our souls. Just like Jesus went into the wilderness before he started his ministry for 40 days, his early followers took the 40 days before Easter to pray, to fast, to give generously to those in need. And so that's uh, that's a long-standing ancient Christian tradition. One of the quotes I'm using is from to just kind of center this, this theme is from John Piper in his A Hunger for God. He says, uh, the early Christians were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. We want to see you, he paraphrases their actions, and follow you more than even we want to eat. So we're taking six weeks to look at hunger. This is week two and the lessons we can learn from Hunger, and not just physical hunger, though the physical hunger taps into all kinds of other hungers. Today, I have one sentence from us, from Jesus, and then a bunch of supporting scripture throughout the points. But I just could not stop reflecting on this line from Jesus this week. Jesus starts his ministry. He's baptized. He's he just now getting some followers, and he goes up on this mount, this little hill, and he gets ready to preach. And he opens famously with these beatitudes, these blessings from God. And there's been a lot of, of, of interpretation about how to understand these. My favorite, the one I think is most correct, is that Jesus is telling us exactly where God is breaking into the world, where God's kingdom is coming up out of the ground zero of God's activity in our space. And he says wild things like, blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who make peace. And today, he says happy. The old translation is blessed. I don't have a better translation than happy. I wish I did. We just like it because it's older. But blessedness here, makarios, just means happy. Jesus says happy are the people who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness is one word in the Greek. It's dekayosune. It means both. Because if you're living individually rightly, then you are going to spread that rightness into your community and create a just and equitable neighborhood. And so it's both. When you hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, Jesus promises that these types of people will be fed until they are full. Cortadzo. Corta is hay, it's grass. The picture is of a fat, happy cow just chewing away in a field, just so satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The bad news, in my mind, is this. The easiest way for the devil to destroy you is to distort your desires. Jesus implies that there's ways that we can hunger and thirst for other things that will not lead to a satisfaction. He tells us the things that we should be hungering and thirst for if we want to be a follower of Jesus, justice and righteousness. The bad news is that our desires can get all kinds of distorted. They can get all kinds of mixed up. They can get Our cravings can be uh, just crush us. Our hungers can lead us to places that we don't want to go. The most commonly used word for desire in Scripture is epithumia. It means to desire. You've heard the word covet in religious words. It's just desire, passion, lust. We think of lust often in a sexual connotation, but Scripture doesn't use it that way. It can mean that. It just means wanting something very badly that you shouldn't have, that will lead you somewhere where you shouldn't go. Sometimes people, sometimes cell phones, sometimes candy, And then, so so then, then the Bible uses words like flesh and world and corruption and it's confusing because flesh and world aren't bad by themselves. The opening chapters, we go back all the way to the Jewish scriptures, Genesis 1. God creates the body and God creates the world and he says it's good and it's very good. But then the New Testament scholars want to, I mean, New Testament authors want to say that when we get a wrong epithumia, when we get a wrong desire, when we we let our cravings and our hungers and our desires lead us in the wrong place, they want to talk about our body as flesh and they want to talk about the world as worldly. Again, God doesn't hate the world, God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son, right? And he looked at our bodies and said, These are good and very good. But when they get off track with with wrong epithumia, when they're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, but something else it's all distorted. We're living into the, the broken parts of creation and in our bodies. And so then the Bible authors tell us over and over again, Peter, Jesus is the number one apostle, escape from the world's immorality that sinful craving produces, epithemia. Escape from the world's immorality. What creates the world's immorality? Our sinful craving. Over and over again, this is a, a common theme in Scripture, that our sinful cravings are the thing that create sinful uh, wor- immoral world. Our hungers can be broken. I know this very well. For instance, I don't like the taste of water. I think it's gross. How does a human being not like water? I have broken my hungers. I broke them, and it came from my parents. I'm mad at my parents, I'm mad at their parents. I never saw my dad drink a glass of water, Pepsi if we had money, Kool-Aid if we didn't, and if we were real broke, he was stealing some lemons off y'all's trees and putting them in a milk jug with hot water and, and lemonade. But never water, no one drank water in my, water? Now I'm trying to drink it. Part of my linted practice is is a gallon of liquids a day, black coffee or water, that's it, that's all I'm having. It's a lot of black coffee though, but it's not mostly black coffee. It's 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 a lot though, like 35 ounces of black coffee, the rest is water, and I hate it, it's such a chore. I broke it, it is broken, it has become broken in me. One of my other linted practices is no fast food, I'm not buying food, I took my family, two in and out, and they sat there and ate it in front of me. It was the hardest things I ever did. And guess what? They didn't even have fast food 60, 70 years ago. For two months, just for 200,000 years, human beings didn't even have fast food. And I'm like, I can't live without this. My body craves it. It didn't even exist for all of human history. I broke my hungers, my other favorite. What even is this food? What even is it? It doesn't even look like food doesn't even look like food. This one's corn. This one's rice. This one's wheat. This one's corn. I don't, maybe it's probably some kind of Frankenstein of all of them. And they put it in the machine and they puff it up. And it's just the greatest thing I've ever had in my whole life. A 9 30 PM bowl of cereal will cure most of your childhood trauma for like 15 minutes. You know what I mean? (laughs) I broke it. it. It broke. I broke it. It's not even real food. I look at a carrot and I'm like, uh, does, do they make these in marshmallow form for Lucky Charms? I broke it. I broke it. We all did. We distorted our hunger, all of our hungers. Our nonstop binge watching is a distortion of the good thing that God put in us, which is to live an incredible, powerful story. To live Jesus' story in our our day and age, we have a good desire for story. God hardwires us for story, but we we broke it. God hardwires us for connection. We absolutely cannot live without other human beings, but we've distorted it. We've filtered it. We've made it some parasocial relationship that is not fulfilling. It is dividing. We can't even do the face-to-face. We just prefer this. And our hunger for this over this is a sign of our brokenness. Knowing what's going on in your world and in your life is good. To love your neighbor well, you need to make sure that good things are happening. We broke it. 24 hours of this, by the way, it's all of them. I'm not picking on anyone. Twenty-four hours a day of this is a distortion of our hungers. To to care, to to try to create a just and equitable society. To defend the widow and the orphan, this is a distortion of that, it, and it's breaking us. It is 100% absolutely crushing us to the point that politicians are calling for civil war this last week, or at least a civil American divorce. This is a distortion of our hungers. It's broken. Can I make us a little more uncomfortable? Wanting to provide for yourself and your family. Hey, good. The first thing God does after he takes human beings is he lets them rest. And then the next day it's get to work. Here's a job. There's a garden to till. Work is good. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It gives dignity to our life. But this, a distortion, epithumia, First Timothy. Paul tells Timothy there, people who want to be rich fall into temptation. They are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions, epithumia, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Your desire to have more than you need will cross you. We broke our hungers. We broke them. We don't like water. We don't like enough. We don't like sitting with people. We don't like... Our desires are distorted. If you don't like that word, our hungers are broken. If you don't like that one, our cravings are corrupted. Whatever way you want to say it, this is why Lent is a good time to reassess What's going on inside of us? Those hungers that we have that are good, that God asked us to have and to use, but not to abuse, not to let get out of whack, not to let us lead us down a road that we don't want to go. That's the bad news. Good news. Good news. Good news. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness because they're going to be fooled. At the table. What does God want us to know? Feel, do? This is how I preach every sermon. That's the questions I ask. With our head, what does God want us to know? The information with the heart, what does God want us to feel, experience, the transformation? And what does God want us to do? If it don't have all three of these, it's not a holistic faith that moves from our head, heart, our hands out into the world. We don't want it to get stuck. So these are the questions I ask. What does God want us to know? For me with this theme today with Jesus's words I want to say this the following our hunger helps us learn to desire the right things rightly. Philosophers tell you this. This is Aristotle, this is Plato, this is Augustine, the great church father, who says learning to love the right things rightly is the whole deal of our baptism, right? But we need we we know how to love and we know how to desire. That is these are all human things but they're distorted. And they get distorted distorted pretty quickly from, from pretty early on in our life. And so one of the journeys of this life is learning to love and desire the right things rightly. That's one of the journeys. Again, Jesus assumes that we can, we can desire the right things rightly. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, we are desiring the right things rightly. St. Paul in Galatians tells us this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. We can learn to control this. We can learn to subdue it. Giving you more verses, Paul in the book of Titus says, we were one, did my son get scared? My son's name's Titus. Titus! We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires. And various pleasures, too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting. And we hated other people. But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us because of his mercy. Not because of our righteous things that we've done. He did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Great summary of the gospel. But it's connected to how we used to be slaves to our desires, but because of Jesus, we can learn to desire the right things rightly, not in your own strength, not in your own works, not in your own time, because Jesus appeared and as a gracious gift offered us healing and new birth in Jesus Christ. Amen? I read some articles about how to recover our hunger because some people struggle with hunger. It's distorted in many ways. Some people are not eating enough. Some people are eating too much. (laughs) Uh, And so there's a lot of data around this. And, and please hear me, do, if you do struggle with disordered eating, we're, we're talking about deeper things. I'm not trying to, you know, talk to your doctors and your nutritionists. I'm not a medical expert. But I'm talking about the desires that we have, the hungers, the things that are within us. And the, the literature all tells us that we need to learn to listen to our hunger and fullness cues. And it gives us five. I only got three for us, but I thought these were really interesting. And I thought, man, you could take this. There's just so much Jesus in these. And this is from uh, Utah State University, the nutrition department. Their tips for paying attention. One is to pay attention. A lot of us are mindlessly eating. Being mindful when we're eating is helpful. Man, that's just what I want you to do with everything, from TV to cereal to phones just be mindful of what you're doing and why you're doing it. No one's trying to say stop those. Just be mindful. Number two, hey, start to identify physical hunger signs. I'm so mindless; I don't even feel the physical hunger signs. Right? I don't eat too much. I don't feel. You know, this is my thing. I go to a drive-through. I'm like, well, I don't want to get too little. I don't want to be hungry when I leave this drive-through line also eat everything on your plate, we were told. And so, I'm not paying attention, and I'm not identifying when I'm hungry and when I'm full. I just, it's noon, let's eat. It's five, let's eat. I woke up, five bagels. That's just kidding. That's too many bagels. That's too many bagels. I'm not a medical expert, but five is too many. Number three, identify types of hunger. Sometimes you're food hungry. But sometimes you're just environmentally or mentally hungry. Their example is you go to a wedding, you want some cake. You're not even hungry for cake. You just want cake. Amen and amen. But they said emotional hunger. Let me, get, let me just preach all the way to myself. Hunger we feel as a result of experience negative emotions such as loneliness, anger, sadness, stress, or anxiety. Even the scientists are saying that sometimes we eat because we're emotionally hungry, and I don't even have the rest of the paragraph, but it goes on to say, no amount of food is going to fix that. That hunger will never be satisfied by food. We can learn to desire the right things rightly. The scientists are giving them tips on how to do this with food. We could do it with all the things in our life that have desires attached to them. This is Michael Pollan. I like his book called In Defense of Food because I didn't have to read very much of it. He's got all of his information right here. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And I'm like, what does he mean by eat food? Here's an interview he did. Eat food, not too much, mostly plant. That's the advice. He says, that's it. That's the short answer to all of it. What kind of food? He says, uh, we are eating a lot of edible food-like substances, which is to say, highly processed things. That might be called yogurt, but called cereals, whatever. In fact, it's a very intricate product of food science that really imitates foods. His advice, if you want some food advice is, uh, is, don't eat anything that your great grandma couldn't recognize. There's so much Jesus in all of this. Eat real food. Find the thing that satisfies the real desire for you. You have a desire for community. You have a desire for justice. You have a desire to be informed. You have a desire to be close to people, to be alone for Jesus. You have these desires built into you. Put the thing in it that really satisfies, it's real put the real thing in it. We need to recover, recover our real hungers and eat real food with all those types of desires. And God's Word tells us that we have been set free from disordered desires to rediscover our real hungers. What does Jesus want us to feel? heart point, experience, and transformation. For me, it was this this week. Following our hunger helps us feel happy and full when we let ourselves be hungry and we follow our real hungers and we put the real food in there that we're really wanting, we will become happy and full. Jesus promises it. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be happy and full. Just saying what Jesus is saying. The next chapter, Jesus talks about food, drink, clothes. And he says a lot of people spend a lot of time chasing after these things. He says, don't, if you're a follower of me, if you're inside the kingdom, stop chasing after food, drink, clothes. Don't, therefore, don't worry, he says. What you're going to eat and what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first. Desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness slash justice, same word, and all those things all those things you will receive as well. Jesus has a promise for us that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, when we hunger and first, thirst first for God's kingdom, we will be filled. You'll we'll be, we'll be filled. Don't worry. Don't spend your life striving. So many people are so trapped in their physical self, right? We have three parts mind, body, spirit. So many people are so trapped in their physical self that they are just living on autopilot. They're just looking for this stuff all the time. And Jesus says there's a deeper, more eternal way of living called the kingdom of God. And when we step into that, we'll stop striving so much for this, and we will let our hungers be satisfied by God, the ultimate source of satisfaction. Or Psalm 37, going again back to the Hebrew Scriptures, David tells us, Enjoy the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Same thing Jesus just said. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. Enjoy the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus wants you to be satisfied. And to give your brain a mental break, and this was helpful for me last night preparing the sermon, Satisfied made me think of these old commercials, and so enjoy for a commercial break. Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Oh. <laughs> Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it, so hey, we can all coexist. Turn in into a, here. a diva. Mm-hmm. Then your system break, advanced. Okay. Thank you. Better. Better. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat? You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Snickers satisfies has been their mantra forever. I was watching commercials from late 70s, early 80s. They've been saying Snickers satisfies. It used to be a little more serious. It was like, have you ever been at the office and you just, it's like hard to get through the day? Snickers. And I'm like, these are much better. They made it sound like a health food. They're like, it's got a lot of peanuts in it. And I'm like. Standards were a little looser back then. (laughs) Snickers satisfy. Satisfy. We get it, we want it, we desire it. Snickers is selling it to you. Jesus says he's the answer. He's the satisfaction to the hungers and the thirsts. In fact, so much so, C.S. Lewis is about ready to tell us that God isn't wanting you to get rid of your desires. He's mad that you don't lean into them enough. In the book, The Weight of Glory, he says... Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Lean into your hunger, he says. Don't ignore it. Don't stuff other stuff into it. Lean into your desire. Don't weaken them. Make them strong, but fill them with the real food because Jesus promises satisfaction. You're sitting in your mud puddle and Jesus has got a beach house for you, he says. We're too easily pleased. We're too easily putting the not real food into our bodies and thinking that it is being satisfied, but it's only momentarily. Following our hunger helps us to feel happy and full on the real stuff. What does Jesus want us to do? Last point, hands point. What does Jesus want us to do? The goal of following hunger is ultimately help you conquer your cravings. This lifelong journey that we have, living into our baptism of following Jesus, part of that journey is conquering those cravings. All of them. All of them. Not getting rid of them, we just said. Conquering them. Subduing them. Putting them in their right place. Timothy tells us, flee from adolescent cravings, and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Titus, again, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, there's a lot going on here. I pulled out what is helpful for us today. I have the freedom to do anything, he says, but not everything is helpful. I have the freedom to do anything, but I won't be controlled by anything. I won't be dominated by anything, the older translations say. The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body, and he ends that section by saying, honor God with your body. Following our hunger helps us conquer our cravings. Conquering our cravings helps us have more self-control. A fruit of the Holy Spirit and good practical discipleship. So good, in fact, if you don't know who this is, I didn't know, so I'm not trying to sound too fancy. This is Dr. Richard Nesbitt. He is a social psychologist. They say that he's the world's greatest authority, that's what my next slide says, on intelligence. If you want to know anything about intelligence, you got to read Dr. Richard world's foremost expert on intelligence. And another professor was saying that he attended a lecture of his last year, and this is what he heard him say. It was not recorded, but this is that professor's summary. He said this, the world's greatest authority on intelligence plainly said that he'd rather have his son being high in self-control than intelligence because self-control is the key to a well-functioning life. More important than knowing stuff is being able to control yourself, your cravings, your desires, your hungers. Not to get rid of them, but to put them in the right place. Sometimes that means they're not always satisfied. Sometimes that means they are satisfied. But we are all subjecting them to the lordship of Jesus. That's part of our discipleship journey. This is the scientist telling us that self-control is better than intelligence. Part of our journey in following our hunger is to help ourselves learn self-control, to conquer our cravings. so that I can doesn't mean I got to get rid of in and out. It doesn't. That's some good news. I should have put that's in the good news section. That's not bad news. That's good news. I took all those bad new things and I'm bringing them back around. We can have in and out, everybody. Every once in a while the fries are still not good, but every once in a while you can have one of them. No one? Okay. Every once in a while. Yeah. Not as an emotional coping tool, but as an enjoyment of life. Easter, I'm gonna feast. I wake up that morning, cinnamon toast crunch. Does it mean you gotta cancel your subscriptions? Oh, unless you want to save money, Jesus isn't saying get rid of it. We are learning to control it. I don't. If you're like me, it just feels like I can't live without it. And I don't mean like I need to see it, but it just feels like it's that important. A little too raw and real for you. I. It's hard for me to use the facilities without it. Anybody? Like how did I corrupt my human body enough that I can't go to the bathroom without my phone? I didn't even have one ten years ago. I'm not saying we gotta get rid of it, but we can learn to conquer it, subdue it, put it in its right place, make it a tool again instead of a coping mechanism. The goal isn't to destroy desires, but through the grace of Christ to conquer cravings so that you can put them in their proper perspective their place following our hunger. Helps us do just that. If you have any questions, send them, and then I'm going to wrap us up. I do have one. Help me understand what kind of righteousness we should hunger and thirst for. I feel like sometimes righteousness is not healthy. Can you please define what healthy righteousness looks like? I would, if I was sitting with you, ask you to explain some more. But with the context that I have, I'm assuming maybe that there's a difference that needs to be defined between righteousness and self-righteousness. That there is a distortion of desire that God wants us to live rightly, to be truthful and to speak truth. But there's a way in which we can do that is, that is self-aggrandizing, that is self-centered, uh, that is selfish, and that does not come... From Christ, whom we abide in. Righteousness in scripture is just living rightly with God and with neighbor. You're living in right relationship through Jesus Christ with the Father, and right relationship through Jesus with your neighbor. So that is good, but we've all met too many self-righteous people to make that word seem maybe a little icky. So there is a difference, and again, that would just go back to my central point that our desires can be distorted. Thank you so much for sending that question. If you have, if you, if I was off, please let me know. And with that, here's my conclusion, seeing no more. Following our real hunger helps us desire the right things rightly. It helps us to ultimately feel happy and full and satisfied in Jesus. And ultimately, it helps us to conquer our cravings and gain greater self-control. With that, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your short sentence that has so much packed into it that tells us that we can crave the right things and that when we do crave your things that we will be full and satisfied. Help us to desire the right things rightly. Help us. We need your help. We live in a world that is constantly bombarding us. We are all discipled by everything else all the time. And we want to follow you more deeply. We cannot do this without you in our own strength. We ask for your grace and your mercy that is empowering. That ultimately is your presence in our life. And Lord, now as we come to the table, would this be a centralizing symbol of your presence and power in our life. That in this bread and this cup, we recognize your broken body and spilled blood on our behalf. That sets us free from these crushing cravings and helps us be washed anew and to follow you. This is the tangible expression of your presence and your power the thing we need to desire the right things rightly. So as we come, would you help us to do exactly that? And Table Church, will you help me in this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.